Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have... We have Monica Leonel and Russell Nolte, and they're talking about Kickstarter. Oh, and my gosh. oh my goodness, y'all. It is so interesting, and it's going to blow your mind. I'll just tell you right blow now. Blow your mind. Like, we just finished, and I was like, let's do the intro because I am fired up. <laughs> it is so good, y'all. I have never, like, when I hear Kickstarter, I'm like, oh, those are just people that don't have money to do their thing, so they're that is or, not it at or all. I think they've got like a huge audience. Yes. You yes, know, and so I feel like, yeah. you know, I can't do that, but yeah. no, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong too, y'all. It is amazing. You're going to love this episode. You're going to want more. And they have a book. Of course, they, they have a book. They have a whole series of books on uh, book sales, supercharge is the name of the series, but uh, the book is how to sell your books on Kickstarter, right? Is mm-hmm. the name of that yeah. book. Yeah. And, uh, but y'all are going to learn so much on here. Your minds mm-hmm. are going to be blown. I have so many ideas that Me I want to try and think about. So, yeah. So that's coming up and it. We talk about, you know, how to use Kickstarter, even if you're in KU mm-hmm. and how it can help you get off of the, I must release so many books a year treadmill, yes. which so many people are, you know, it relieves some of that pressure mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, talk about we some do. practicalities about how yes. to do it. So, yeah. And why you should do it. Like what, what's the benefit of doing this as a, as an indie author. And uh, Russell is like the king of Kickstarters. <laughs> He's had 18 successful Kickstarter uh, campaigns for comic books, uh, uh, Anthology, sorry, mm-hmm. and novels, and he's raised over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So uh, he knows what he's talking about. And then Monica is just, you know, she's just a productivity specialist and and just really knows her stuff. And so they they took Russell's system for running Kickstarter and Monica's framework and mm-hmm. kind of put everything together. And it's just it's yeah. amazing. So you're gonna yeah. love it. And we uh, also talked to them too about like what they wish they had known about writing and marketing yes, before yes, we get all into the, the normal stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we're going to keep this intro short because the the episode runs long because we just had so many questions. Yeah. Um, so I'm still writing. How about you? Um, I am working on. I had a book club this week. And oh so, yeah, yeah. So that went really well, and I'm making progress on my book and doing tax stuff, you know, cause it's January. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's a depressing subject, mm-hmm. but, um, getting all that done and just kind of keeping up with normal life. So, yeah. yeah. So good week. Um, and yeah, I think we should go to the interview. Yes, I do too. Y'all have a good week. All right. Today we are really excited to have Monica Leonel and Russell Nolte with us. Hi everybody. How are y'all doing? Hey, how are you doing? We're Very great. Hard. <laughs> so we were hoping that you guys could each give us a short bio, kind of give us a little background on how you got into writing and what you write. Um, Monica, do you want to go first? Sure. I started out writing young adult uh, fantasy and sci-fi, 
And then I kind of took a detour um, into nonfiction <laughs> for like seven years. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So other than that, though, um, coming back around to my fiction and I, I've been writing fiction on and off um, during that time as well, of course. Uh, but yeah, so I write nonfiction, a um, couple series for authors. One is The Productive Novelist. And then the other is Book Sales Supercharged, which I co-authored with Russell. And we're going to talk about that today. So that's great. How about you, Russell? Uh, so I started in comics. Uh, and then I also took a detour into nonfiction, but a little bit differently. Uh, I made most of my living on, at shows for a long time. Mm. Uh, and people would come up to me asking me questions. And so I started nonfiction because I wanted people to buy my books and leave my table alone uh, so that like I could talk to people. And so I was like, well, if you buy my book, I'll like talk to you. But otherwise, like I got to talk to the next person. Like I, mm -hmm. that's also why I had a blog and a podcast. Basically, mm -hmm. all of this, all of my nonfiction was either the podcast was so I could interview creators who were successful and then uh, implement their best secrets. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the nonfiction was so people would like, leave me alone so I could sell more books at a table. And it's funny because I would talk to Monica. One of the first times I talked to her, she's like, your nonfiction is too long. <laughs> and, I was like, and, I was like, and I was like, no, it's the perfect length because the perfect length that someone will get all the answers they need and then never talk to me again. She's like, yeah, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> well, so he was, he was talking about why it wasn't um, selling online. And I yes. said, well, niche online, um, big fat book at a table at an event. So that yes. was a huge insight that we both yeah, realize yeah. which may be relevant during the conversation as well. <laughs> oh, I have to say, I love that about that just you good. know, leave me alone because I totally identify with that. Great. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, what do you wish you'd known about writing in craft, Russell, when you got started? I sort of rejected structure when mm. I first got started. And mm -hmm. so I wish that I knew when I got started that uh, that creativity comes from structure instead of is or instead of is stifled by it. Mm. That's great answer. <laughs> oh, I so agree with that. I think that's very interesting. And most people don't um, don't think that boundaries give you creativity I think in a way they force you to be creative mm -hmm. like if you have certain restrictions I think that's very true mm -hmm. I watched uh, a master class with Frank Gehry uh, and he talked about how in architecture everyone has to follow 85 percent of the same rules because you know gravity yeah. and yeah and zoning codes and all of that stuff he's like the real beauty the real like way that I make it my own is taking that 50 15 percent and manipulating it in the way that uh, that like makes it unique to me. And I was like, wow, that really explains also like a lot of like genres of book. The 15% is what makes it unique. That's, that's great. I think that will help a lot of listeners. So that's really good. How about you, uh, Monica? What do you uh, wish you'd known about uh, writing and craft? Well, I feel like my head just exploded. I know. <laughs> Amazing um, <laughs> architecture analogy. Because <laughs> I mean, I would say like, that is the same thing. I wrote this long book that had like way too many characters, did not hit tropes, um, was 120,000 words and was a young adult novel, which is very unusual. And 
it, you know, it didn't work. And until I was willing to put the structure in place, that was when things did start working. And mm-hmm. so I think, um, I would probably say mine is the same as Russell's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's so good though, because people, they want to do something different and that's fine, but you still have to follow 85% of the rule, the, right. the structural <laughs> rules, do your different part with the 15%. That's, that's so brilliant. Or also take the, take one of the rules and then flip it on its head. So that's another yes. thing you could do with an 85%. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or you like, you figure out some way to twist the trope. Like you, you, you're using the trope, but like you said, you turn on its head and you do something mm-hmm. different. So, yeah. So you kind of support, you give readers kind of what they're expecting, but you surprise them at the same time, which is mm-hmm. very, that's, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? Uh, Monica, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I think for me with marketing, it's like, it really is a checklist of things. So sometimes people make marketing like this huge drama, but it's like you (laughs) literally, like you literally just get a checklist of stuff and then you like check off the tasks. Right. And I think where people get stuck on it is um, when they focus on results because Mm -hmm. you, you can't really focus on results right away. So, I mean, for me with marketing, it's always like, I'm just doing these tasks and nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. I'm just like talking into the void for, you know, days and days. But when I show up consistently and do that, all of a sudden things start to happen. Mm -hmm. And then if I just keep going. So I think with marketing, it's always like, it's just a checklist, first of all. And um, then just, you have to just be comfortable during the weird phase where you did a ton of work and it's not showing up yet in, mm-hmm. in reality and in results yet because it will. And so just trusting, but that, I mean, that, that phase is very hard for <laughs> all of us. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it really is. And it, it never really goes away. <laughs> Like like you get get better at some things, but then you kind of get, you you wake up one day and you go, wait, this is, sorry, this isn't working again. Yeah, I agree. Well, what about you, Russell? Uh, So I think I have one answer, but it has a couple of parts to it. So uh, the first is that when you make something, you sell it forever. Like I cannot, I still cannot believe that the first book I ever made uh, sells and sells just as well as it did like the very first time that I sold it, if not better. Um, so, uh, so there's definitely that also that you can launch books, the same book as many times as you want, uh, as many ways as you want. Like there's no, um, like this is the structure. This is this it's like the cover can be different. The editing can be different. Uh, the back matter can be different, like all or one of those things can change and it can, it can drastically increase your chances of success. Um, I know the first cover that we had with for, for my, for Ichabod Jones, uh, to the seventh cover sales quadrupled just on changing the cover and getting the marketing messaging, right? So, uh, so yeah, I had a third one, but I forget it, but those were the two <laughs> big ones where like, oh, and right, uh, the long, the, the, the more opportunities you have to, sell in the same series, the better your odds will be of success. Like if something just launches one time, it's going to be a lot harder for it to get traction than if you can come back to it over and over and over again. I looked 
uh, in the last couple of years, almost every successful author, whether it's traditional or 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 uh, or indie, has a long series, at least one long series mm-hmm. that goes eight, 10, 12 books. And I think when people, a lot of times when people ask me, why isn't my marketing work? I'm like, you've only got two books in this series. Like, what are the odds that it's going to work? Because you're going to lose money, probably marketing book one. You got to make it up by having a bunch of books after that. So yeah. some combination of those things are all this, the, what I wish I had known. That's great. That's great. Both answers are really good. Uh, what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? And looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Monica, why don't you answer that one? I definitely believed that there was going to be a big break at some point. So I think for me, (laughs) I love how you're laughing already. (laughs) I think for me, I thought like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, selling this book for a while, but then at some point the series is just going to, you know, take off and I'm going to be a millionaire. And uh, it, you know, it took me years and years actually to realize that there really is no one thing that's going to move the needle forward. Um, it's not, and, and I, I feel like I did spend several years thinking like, Oh, well, if I could just get ads, right. Or if I could just, you know, get <laughs> mm-hmm. on TikTok or whatever, whatever. Yeah. I didn't even know it was around then probably like Twitter or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, if I could just figure out this one thing, it would, it would make the difference. And that, that was never true. Um, and then, the other thing is that the, you know, the trajectory is not like up, 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 no. <laughs> as we all think, mm-hmm. we all think, oh, well, like, of course I'm going to do better, you know, next month than I did this month. And then, mm-hmm. and it's just like, you know, that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, not- we just talked about that recently in an interview. I don't know if it's aired yet or not. I can't remember, but how it's not just like a straight line up. It's more like a stock market line where you go up and up and up and down, up and down, up and down. But over time, if you keep at it, you're probably going up. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I totally understand that thought that it should just go straight up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I made some long-term like decisions based on that assumption and it's, it's just not true. So, you know, thankfully it does. It is usually an upward trajectory, but it goes up and down, up and down now, for sure. Yeah. And uh, what about you, Russell? Any assumptions you make at the beginning of your career? I have to say that I still think about that today. Like every time I get down, what Monica said, like it's almost always because of that. Like, like mm-hmm. I really thought that uh, at some point you just make it like at some yeah. point, like you're not going to have to. <laughs> but like, And I often say to Karen, uh, my wife, it gets way, way way harder it yeah. just gets so much harder uh, mm-hmm. over time because you instead of just worrying about gaining audience and the pool being just infinite uh you have to worry about losing audience and the pool gets smaller and smaller because people have already made a decision about you and that decision will never change ever mm-hmm. ever i've met people now you make a lot of mistakes at the beginning uh, when, when you're marketing and i made certainly a ton in in tone and strategy and veracity of how much i contacted people and like i've met people 10 years later who still think i'm the same person um mm-hmm. but i think the biggest one for me what is that i thought that i could write any book that i wanted and people would read it 
the, <laughs> and fans would read it. I thought yeah. that I was like, oh, like you liked Ichabod. So like, of course you'll like my like murder mystery written in blog posts and my like, <laughs> and my like contemporary <laughs> sci-fi. So Ichabod is like a fantasy horror book. That's a comic. And I was like, um, and so, yeah, I thought I, I was, I was all over the place at the beginning. I read dystopian fiction and, and, and just, and, and some people did follow me. And I think that was the biggest insight, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, which was mm-hmm. like, some people will follow you. And like, those are the people that I ended up focusing on. Like those are, I don't want to call them real fans because if someone likes a book of yours, like they are also a real fan, but like the die hard, like writer die people mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. would follow all of it. And what I, what I was able to glean from all of that was like really what the message should be. It wasn't for just like the average reader. It was, okay, what is it about my work that all of these, that these people will read literally anything that I write? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the people that will follow you, they, they're the people that like a Russell Nolte book, no matter what it is. But a lot of people won't skip genres for that, for any author. So, it's not even yeah. genres, right? I mean, series, yeah. like, well, like that's different series. series too. Yes. Yeah. You're exactly yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I found that out too early on. I was, when I f- first got into indie publishing, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I can write whatever I want. And so I did that. And then I was at an event and I handed off a bookmark to a woman and said, hey, here's my new uh, series. It's got mystery. Uh, intrigue. It was more like a kind of classic romantic suspense instead of a straight mystery. And she looked at it and went, mm, I, I don't think so. I don't do romance. <laughs> and she liked my other books. So I was like, oh, okay. Not everybody is going to follow me over just mm-hmm. because they enjoyed one book. So yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a hard lesson to learn for me too. But yeah. sometimes I think you have to write all the different things to figure it out, you know? Yeah. I also think that people don't do that enough. Like, I think that people want to get their first book and they write, they like, they really want to write romantic comedy. And so like they write a more random comedy and like, that's the first book they write. And that's all the, all that they write. And they, it becomes hard to know like what you like about writing or even what you like about romantic comedies. And so I always tell people at the beginning, you know, don't even worry about money. Just like write a bunch of different stuff. Like some of my best ideas came from writing sci-fi and romance and, and thriller and all of this stuff and then combining it into like my own thing that still fit into a genre. So do you think there's also something to be said of just saying like your first 10 books, like are freebies, just go and write a bunch <laughs> of stuff and then worry about money. Once you know who you are and what you like writing. Russell, I think you're going to make people cry. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how many of those people slapped you and then walked away. I mean, a lot of them. But in doing this, like most people will not break before 10 books. Like it just won't happen for like 99%, maybe not 99, but almost nobody is going to break before book 10 or at least yeah. book six. But people put so much stock into book one, two, and three when there's like, a 0.001% chance that they will break. It might happen, but it almost will never happen. Instead of saying, huh, I'd like to try this and this and this. And I think all of that can make you a better writer and a more and a, and a more um, sticky writer at the end. And it takes the pressure off too. Like it, even though it's a little depressing to think you might, you know, not break out or, you know, do really well until after 10 books. But if you have that mindset that, it's okay. I'm experimenting for 10 books. It does take the pressure off of, oh my goodness, book one has to be a breakout hit. So, yeah. mm-hmm. And that's what happens with screenwriters. In screenwriting, you were told, which is where I came from. It's my, my first 
like try and writing was to try and write screenplays. And they tell you your first 10 scripts are just going to suck. Like they're just going to be bad. <laughs> just write them and you'll figure it out along the way. And it was so freeing to be like, oh, I just, this first one's going to be bad. Yep. That one was real bad. The second was a little bit better. The third <laughs> was a little bit better. And over time, like you sort of figured it out, but that was, it was so freeing to, to hear your books are just going to, your scripts are just going to suck at the beginning. There's literally nothing you can do about it except write them. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we like to talk about lessons learned and we've already touched on some of this, but one of the questions we like to ask is, um, have you ever had what you thought was just like a brilliant idea and then it turned out to be not so great? Something that, you know, possibly learn from over, the, you know, looking back. Um, either one of you want to uh, take a crack at that question? <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm struggling to think of one. Um Gosh, I can thanks. think of one that I thought was going, I thought that when I first started that you couldn't make a living as a writer. Mm. So I like, and, and uh, so I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll become a publisher and I'll like speak and I'll like, cause I literally didn't know anyone who made a career. as like a, a, a working like book writer. I knew people mm-hmm. who took books and made movies and all of these other things. It took me a long time. My friend, one time I went to a writer's convention and she turned around her dashboard She's like, that's how much I made this month. Because you quit saying that? And I was like, oh, that's a hundred grand. Yeah, uh, all right. <laughs> I can literally see now that I'm completely wrong. Um, so I worked at doing all of this nonfiction stuff, which, which had its benefits, but I ended up being um, trapped in like doing this nonfiction stuff. And um, it worked out at the end great because that's why that's how I met Monica. And that's like why we like why she's publishing all of my work now and, and, and doing the courses that I've done and all that stuff, because I ended up not working great because I was hamstrung with this idea that you can't be just a writer. And one time I was reading my, I was, um, I was talking to somebody about coming on my podcast and she's like, I think this is a bad idea. I was like, it's bad. I just like to to, to have you on the show. It's like, no, that you're doing this. Like you Mm -hmm. need to spend time just being a writer and it, I thought she was so, it was such a, I was so angry at her at the time because all I wanted was her to come in as a guest, but it took about a year for me to be like, oh no, she's right. Like okay. I'm doing all of this stuff that's pulling me away from doing the writing. And when I stopped doing that since 2020, I've written 24 books in 25 months at this point, just doing writing and constantly launching and having the mechanics of like, what it means to become a successful writer. So I don't know if that was like exactly uh, what you were looking for, <laughs> yeah, but like yeah. I, I definitely felt trapped by that part of my business. But by I owned a Verizon store at one point. All of this stuff that was like, I don't. I, I think you should have multiple streams of income as a writer. But all of this stuff kind of per- stopped me from having to double down on the writing part mm-hmm. of it for too long. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So did you that give up really- your podcast and? All of that? Did you I, cut all that I, out? I did. I ended it at 200 episodes. People could still get it at the completecreative.teachable.com and it's free. All of the like all of the interviews are free that I did. And I interviewed some awesome creators, but it stopped serving me because I had a very I had a very deep question in 2019 when I brought it back. 20, 2019 when I brought it back, which was like, 
how do you survive as a writer for 40 years? Like, how do you keep staring into the abyss and coming up with, with like new stuff when mm-hmm. like nothing is certain? Mm-hmm. And I asked that question to 10 people and they all gave me the exact same answer. And I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> there's not as much here to explore as it was. And, no. and, uh, and no, so I'm, after like yeah. a year, I was like, yeah, just like, th- I really want to do a podcast again, but like this iteration of it, of like this interviewing creators and this thing, like the, and the numbers were going down. It was in the middle of the pandemic. And like, I really just, I felt, I felt like stuck by, um, by like the nonfiction stuff. And mm-hmm. that's actually like literally when I, lo- I think the month I ended the podcast was the month that me and Monica started talking about this deal that we ended up striking. So, um, but yes, I, I, I did it for a very long time and I loved it uh, until I stopped loving it. And what I learned from that is when you stop loving something, you should walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, what's the biggest mindset change you've had, Monica, during your career? Um, man, I'm still stuck on, <laughs> on the sorry. other one. Sorry. <laughs> I'm still stuck Do you on have muscles. an answer for the other one? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just stuck on like, well, what is the answer to the 40, oh, yeah. 40 year abyss oh, so, <laughs> creativity? So it was the ability to burn it all down and start again in different genres and do in different projects. Like you have to be willing and able to just say, I'm, I'm bored writing comics. So I'm going to start making movies or something and be mm-hmm. able to have that. Like that's how they kept it fresh. And that's how I think part of it is like the, the thrill of like exhilaration. And at some point, if you're writing books or comics or whatever, like it starts to become once you have like a, a ceiling or whatever you're writing, like you're starting like, oh, like I know what's going to happen here. And for me, at least part of the, the thrill of writing is that like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And so <laughs> they all said some version of you have to be willing to burn it all down and you have to burn it all down sometimes and start again doing something else. Otherwise, you're going to lose it forever. Mm. Also, wow. that wasn't always lost forever because you could always bring it back. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Uh, that's great. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, sometimes the most strategic thing is not what we want to write. And Mm -mm. sometimes it's maybe better not to do that, even though, Mm. you know. That is not the conventional advice, I would say. No. Yeah, I know. Well, going back to mindset, um, Monica, have you had a big mindset uh, change that you've had to make during your career? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. <laughs> <I'm sad. laughs> just like, yeah, there's all sorts of mindset shifts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that, um, just realizing that I kind of want to do everything. And I feel like that's how a lot of artists are. Like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And for me, I've had to realize that I personally, at least cannot do it all at once. So I have three pen names. Two of them are nonfiction. I did have more fiction pen names. I had like five pen names before. And then I was like, you know what? I really, I I need to get some like momentum going on the fiction. So I'm just going to bring it all into one and kind of make it my own and make it, make the content work. Um, Cause I, I had written like, I've written like contemporary romance, like steamy contemporary romance. And then I had written young adult fantasy and it's like these don't really go together but what if I just took (laughs) the steamy romance and like 
took out the sex and put in some werewolves or something and like made the story work. Um, So, you know, and I just thought like, why don't I just try to get momentum on this one thing? Um, So what I've seen for myself is that every year or maybe every two years, I, I kind of only focus on one of the brands. So like right now I'm focused on fiction, um, mm-hmm. which is hard because the nonfiction stuff is kind of, um, you know, it's gaining a new level of momentum right now. And I'm still finishing up some stuff, but, you know, energetic um, energy wise, I'm focused on this other pen name. And so mm-hmm. I, I've seen myself do that for the past couple years where I did my spirituality pen name. And then I did kind of like my, uh, I guess my business self-help for authors pen name. And now I'm back to the fiction pen name. And I feel like I need to spend the rest of my life just like rotating between these <laughs> projects um, and, and whatever new ones come up. But yeah, it just, I, I just, I can't stay with something for like three years that, you know, three years at a time. And that, that can be hard with no momentum or, yeah. you know, it, it, it kind of kills your momentum kind of over and over again, but right. creatively that's what I need. So, Well, I think that's great. I mean, I think it's important that you know that and that you um, take steps um, to, to make that happen because you're going to be happier in the long run and have a better career because of it, I think. Yeah. I think you have to plan for who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's the mindset shift too, is plan for who you are. So knowing that about myself, which is probably not the same for anybody no. else listening, Mm-mm. but it's like, well, so now I at least know the truth and I accept the truth. And then, then I can think like, how can I keep the pen name going while I'm mm-hmm. spending two years, you know, kind of focused somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Does it mean I need to have like an extra couple books for a release um, that I can stagger, you know, and I think, uh, and, and I, I, it's speaking to a lot of authors. I've noticed that um, many of them do that type of planning mm-hmm. uh, once mm-hmm. they know themselves. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So did you, do you do that? Do you kind of stockpile for when you're going to be working on something else? Well, I haven't, I haven't done it yet. Um, I think, I think advertising is kind of my solution to some of that. Yeah. Um, just, mm-hmm. and also, you know, I know a lot of other authors do this too, but you can take your book and put it in a new format. So maybe you mm-hmm. have, you know, like an audiobook launch that kind of reinvigorates interest yes. um, or, you know, like Russell does Kickstarters um, and mm-hmm. he, he stockpiles a lot of his books too. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think there are ways around that, or you could do translations or um, just finding ways to kind of bring, bring interest back without investing your creative energy. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think those are all really smart, good mm-hmm. suggestions. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Taking notes. About, <laughs> yep. I know. How about you, Russell? Any big mindset shifts? Yeah. I think mine was kind of, I don't want to say the opposite because it really was know yourself as well. But mm-hmm. like, I write pretty niche books. Mm-hmm. And my whole career, like it's dumb that I write paranormal romance. Like I should be writing paranormal romance. My books are like literally like one degree from it. And like, it's mm-hmm. such a bigger category than like the weird off category that I have. But like, I've been trying or paranormal cozy mystery, which I love reading. Like, one of those two, I should be writing, 
But for the past, I don't know, six or eight months, I had been trying to be like, when my next series is going to be one of these two things. I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, me and Monica talked about it at 20 books. Uh, and like, I was literally blocked from, like, I would, I didn't have one idea for, mm-hmm. for six or eight months. And, and it wasn't until I was like, I can't just, I just, I have literally no idea. I'm just going to do whatever that I had this like idea for this huge, like epic fantasy, high fantasy, like series. And, uh, which I think is still like a degree more in the, in the zone of, of uh, popularity than what I write. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I couldn't. And then I had another idea like two weeks ago and I was like, this is never going to work. I'm not putting this in, but it kept fighting to come up again and again and again. I don't know if you had this, this ever happened to you, but like, I try and put the idea down and just never, it will not shut up. Like I'll be in movies. I'll be asleep. <laughs> like I'll be wherever it is. Like I'll, this idea. And I'm like, this is a terribly unpopular idea. Like I, this is not in the genre. This is not a thing. Um, but then I, uh, I, I was thinking about it and suddenly I was like, you know, I have been wanting to do a short story collection. Maybe I can use this as like the, the, like the encompassing, like the, the bookend for this, like this, like story pieces of this story. Hmm. Um, and that maybe I can set it in. Cause it's a, a book. It was, the idea is like a, a story, uh, like during the apocalypse, this girl finds this radio station and like starts broadcasting from it and like ends up building like this found family from it, which I was like, this is such a cute idea. But like, I only want good things to happen to this person. And I know if I write a book of this people, there's going to be zombies and stuff. And I just, <laughs> so, and I was like, I don't want that. I want zombies or any of this stuff. I'm sorry. So, so I, it's okay. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You don't want zombies. Go ahead. I, didn't want, I, I, I wanted it to be just like this very like cute pastiche of like the apocalypse where this person like builds a home and a family and a found family like for, so I was like, I was like, but I know I can't do that if I write a book, but I found that like, uh, this is part of the God's verse that happens in the apocalypse. It's like, if I set this book in the apocalypse during the God's verse, maybe the God's verse people will buy it. And then like, I can, I can bookend it with like this story that I really want to tell. And I could just have like four vignettes of this person as she builds this radio station and this family for herself. And like, I don't have to, I only have to show four pieces. I can make that just like happy pieces. Uh, and so I did that and I finished that book like this morning, right before I came on here. And I was like, okay, okay like, I don't know if this is going to sell, but it's a short story collection. It probably wasn't going to sell very well anyway, but I need to do the short story collection because I have all these short stories. So these things kind of things molded together. And, but it wasn't until I kind of was like, all right, Russell, like you're going to be writing big, like mythology, fairy tale, dragon books, like for the rest of your career. Cause that's the thing you keep bringing to. So like, you might as well. And my, my, my manager hates it because like he can't sell big dragon fantasy mm-hmm. books into like Hollywood because they're very big books that require mm-hmm. a very big budget. And like, I don't have a big publisher behind me, so they don't buy it. So, but like, I just can't, I can't like, so I have to, I have to just like live with the person that I am. Mm-hmm. And that probably has been the hardest thing outside of writing too, is just like, have to live with the human you are and like try and somehow fit like and be okay with whatever that happens i was talking with my wife last night two nights ago last night or two nights ago um and she's we were talking about like a bunch of friends of mine like have big publishers and they're starting to get like a lot of traction and she's like do you regret doing the indie route and i was like well like i I got i did get a publisher and they screwed up my launch so like Mm -hmm. i can't regret i can regret how it went 
Like mm-hmm. I sure, I sure, sure shoot and wish that that book sold 50,000 copies because my career would be a whole lot different now, but like right. it didn't. And so I ended up doing this other thing. And I, I have had book publishers before and they've also screwed up my launches. And so like, it just, so like, do I regret that the extent that thing that happened there? Yeah, sure. I regret the thing that happened there, but like, I, I can't possibly regret the career that I have because it mm-hmm. was the only option available to me. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. That, that is really great mindset shift. And I, I said in my talk at 20 books that people should take what they learned at 20 books from these really prolific authors who do all this stuff and make it fit into their lifestyle as opposed to making their lifestyle fit into someone else who maybe has a different personality, a different, just a different everything than you. That's just never going to work. So yeah, and that's really hard with nonfiction as well. I don't know if Monica uh, uh, feels like this, but I know that like it's very hard to tra- to tell someone exactly what to do because their experience will differ than yours. And they'll say, I, f- I followed the thing you put in this book to the letter and it did not work. And, I'm, and all you can say to that is like, I don't, you have to mold it. And like, anyway, I don't know. It's very, that part is very hard for me in nonfiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of nonfiction, so you guys have a series of books. Uh, it's called Book Sales Supercharged. And um, why don't you tell us about that, Monica? Yeah. So the series, it's um, it's focused on uh, book sales by different platforms. Mm-hmm. And so the, the series kind of starts out talking about really just going wide mm-hmm. and what we consider as wide right now in the indie author community, which is um, basically taking your ebooks out of exclusivity, um, which the most popular program is Amazon, Kindle mm-hmm. Unlimited, mm-hmm. Uh, taking them out of there and putting them on other retailers. So you mm-hmm. can put them through distributors like Draft to Digital and Publish Drive and StreetLib and Smashwords, or you can, or and you can um, put them direct with other retailers like Apple Books, Google Play. Um, Kobo, Barnes Noble are kind of the biggest ones besides Amazon. And uh, that that's kind of how the series starts out. So it starts out just telling you like, hey, here's why you go wide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it goes into all the different ebook retailers. So Amazon, but also Apple Books, Kobo. And how do you actually start selling books on those platforms? Mm-hmm. And then we get into <laughs> the really fun stuff, in my opinion, which um, uh, Russell and I kind of think of it as going aggressively wide uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or like wider than wide. And I think that's where Russell has, um, he's spent a lot of his career, but it's basically um, the idea of direct sales, which I think mm-hmm. people are very excited about right now mm-hmm. in the indie mm-hmm. author community is how do you, you know, cut out the middleman in some sense to regain control over your career and not mm-hmm. just feel like, and um, not just be an independent author in quotes, mm-hmm. but feel the independence of mm-hmm. your career. And so I think that's where we, that's where we get into other platforms. Like how do you sell from your website? How do you sell on Kickstarter? How do you sell at events and signings? And for that, that's really where Russell comes in. <laughs> and yeah, I Russell, do all the weird Russell stuff. Russell does all that. <laughs> and is very, very good at it. 
And so I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm also still learning that. So um, we were able to take his knowledge and content and build more books after the retailer books. Oh, that's great. So speaking of Kickstarter, though, I heard you say, Monica, on one of your um, YouTube things that Russell, he has had, he's an 18 times Kickstarter success story, and he's raised over $250,000. And I just find that fascinating. Uh, For someone who really doesn't understand the platform, I just think that that is so interesting. So what is Kickstarter, Russell, and uh, why? um, Well, just start with what is Kickstarter first? Sure. So Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. Most people know crowdfunding for from like GoFundMe, which mm-hmm. is used to do like funerals and mm-hmm. surgeries and all of that stuff. This is not mm-hmm. that kind of crowdfunding. Right. Uh, uh, everything that, com- that comes to Kickstarter has to be a product and there has mm-hmm. to be a thing that you are going to get at the end of it. So it could be a movie ticket. Uh, it could be a, um, a, a, a CD. It could be a book. And there's others, oh, a bunch of categories, drones, everything from like drones and Pebble Watch started on Kickstarter all the way down to like, uh, you know, uh, the, the some author or creator who's doing a d- dance recital or something. Mm-hmm. And it can be anything, but it has to be a creative, physical good product, which is what sets Kickstarter apart from all other crowdfunding platforms, even Indiegogo, because with Indiegogo, you can raise for charities and other things. Mm-hmm. But with Kickstarter, it has to be a creative physical good that you are getting at the end of it or, or, you know, a digital good. There has to be something tangible you get at the end of it, which is why the platform of Kickstarter is so successful for creative projects. Okay. So that was one of our questions was, you know, kind of what's the difference between Patreon and Kickstarter? Because so to me, it sounds like Patreon that could be for physical products, but not necessarily. It could be just, Hey, support me. So is that the difference between Patreon and Kickstarter or is it uh, more detailed well, than that? P- Patreon is a subscription platform. So you sign up and you pay monthly or by creation, depending on how the creator set it up for whatever they produce. Uh, uh, but there's not, it's sort of an ongoing thing, which is very different. It's so interesting because Kickstarter like would fit so much better into people's launch plans because they're already making a book. Mm-hmm. Already making a book. Mm-hmm. Patreon is a whole different beast where they're having to create things probably exclusively for for Patreon uh, that is outside of what they're already doing, which is why I don't do Patreon personally, because I don't want to be, I, I've done subscription stuff before, and I don't want to feel beholden to do extra stuff that I'm not doing already mm-hmm. for the Patreon platform. Uh, where I, uh, So that's the difference. Kickstarter is a one-off crowdfunding platform. You say, I want to raise money for this book launch or whatever the thing is. I'm just going to say books from now on because like we're, <laughs> we're all authors, Sounds right? Good. So, like, so, so I'm going to raise, I want, I, I want to launch uh, this book and, or this book series. And here are the rewards you're going to get for backing this one, for buying this one thing, this one time. Once the campaign is done, you can go to your normal launch or however else you're going to do, um, do uh, your, your, your making money for this book. But you don't have to do anything else except to deliver that stuff. And the thing that Kickstarter is great for is for supporting, for getting, for making more money from your super fans. Okay. So, so 
so you so you guys did get your book selling on Kickstarter as a Kickstarter, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And how did that go? Well, <laughs> it went pretty, <laughs> went pretty, pretty well, actually. Great. Um, so we ended up, we ended up making 20. So our goal was our, our act, our listed goal. Gosh, I don't remember. I think it was a thousand dollars Our, you know, this is a super successful project goal was about $10,000. Mm-hmm. And then um, we ended up making 21,500. Wow. Um, and then, and we actually raised another about 2,500 afterwards too. Um, because, well, it, it, people, people kind of, there, there's a deadline on Kickstarter mm-hmm. when the project ends. Yeah. And then you, you know, anytime you have a deadline, people start to email you and say like, Oh, I forgot to back. Can I get mm-hmm. in on this? And mm-hmm. so you have that, you have that trickle of um, sales coming in afterwards. I think Russell, you've said that you always have that extra little bump. Um so Always. yeah, so so definitely expect that if you're doing a Kickstarter. But officially, we raised twenty one thousand five hundred um, from five hundred and fifty backers. This was not a lot of people that wow yeah, from five yeah a little, little bit over five hundred backers. So um, and we had about most people spent um, or the average pledge was forty about forty dollars. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I love how meta that is that you used yeah. Kickstarter yeah. to write the book about <laughs> Kickstarter. So tell us a little bit because about how it works. So these people have pledged and you you're receiving this money, but uh, it's not all profit. That all that goes towards right. the creating and distributing of the book, right? Right. Yeah, so um I, well, I should let Russell talk about this. Well, I just want to say I take exception to when people talk about things not being all profit because that's also true on on any platform, including Amazon. Like you're yes. bu- you're paying for ad costs and production costs and all of that stuff. Right. So it is uh, sim. And when people ask that question, I, I always say the same thing. Like you also have to pay production costs and ad costs and, and server costs and all that stuff when you're launching any book. So part of that, part, part of it is true because you're, you're doing extra stuff for the Kickstarter usually, but um, you're, it, uh, and, and the goal is really for me is to break even on the, the all of the costs so that you can go into your Amazon launch uh, uh, completely free and clear. So you you are you are by the time you launch on Amazon you you have raised enough money to uh to to make all of the to to never to be able to hopefully have a little bit of a war chest to do ads with but you don't have to go into Amazon your Amazon launch or your your book launch um uh, uh in the red which is was horrible for me like I've done this I used to did all my launches through Kickstarter for the first for first and then in 2019 I tried to do a launch where it was just on Amazon and I I felt like I, I was paralyzed because I was like, wait, I don't know if this book is successful. I have no clue. I have no barometer. I have no money. I'm like $10,000 in the hole in this series. So like mm. I, uh, whereas when I then brought that book to Kickstarter, we we're able to break even on all that and build the sort of war chest for advertising and other costs. Mm. But yes, it is not all, it's not all profit. Right. Um, yeah. um, uh, and that makes sense because the, you have expenses no matter how you launch a book. So that's Correct. true. I, I totally understand that. So, but good uh, clarification. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's interesting. So you launch all, all of your books on Kickstarter first. 
Well, I, I should pull this up uh, uh, before because I made $66,000 as an author last year, of which 56000 of that was on Kickstarter and 723 was from Amazon and other sources. Wow. $723 <laughs> uh, compared to $56,000. So I always tell people like that is abnormal. Um, yeah. I used to make... Uh, there was also a convention, but, but where's where I made the, made the majority, majority of the money outside of Kickstarter, but conventions went away, Kickstarter money mm-hmm. went up. So I would do most of what happens at con- like conventions. I would have an advertising budget for like the show and getting stuff. And it was very similar to how I would do it. But uh, yeah, I've never like even run it one Amazon ad ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still able to be super successful on Kickstarter. So imagine what someone who already has an audience could do. Um, See, I never really considered that. I never considered, like, the next question is why use crowdfunding? And so I'm wondering, like someone like me who does have an audience, I could go on and do a Kickstarter for my next book? Like, I never really considered that. Okay, so uh, here's a couple of pieces of this. So um, you make 95% of the money uh, it's a little bit less. It's like 92. I'm just going to say you make 90% of every dollar goes back to you Wow. as opposed to anywhere from 33 cents to 70 cents going back to you. So Mm -hmm. you just make way more money also because they don't have also bots or anything on Kickstarter really uh, because every campaign goes away after at most 60 days. You can invite friends, family, and all the people you say never buy my book on Amazon <laughs> because it ruins my also bots, um, which is something that Monica actually uh, told me about, uh, uh, clued me into. I was never even thought about that, but it's true. Like if you don't want your friends and family ruining your also bots, they can all buy on Kickstarter and you never have to worry about that. Um, thirdly, there are all sorts of, 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 of special things that I'm sure your fans have asked for or you want to give them. So, for instance, um, one of the big ones on my, la- on my two launches ago was Tuckerization, which is being written into the book. So mm-hmm. I offered for $75. This was not the Kickstarter book. This was my book, Void Calls Us Home, which we were doing a special edition hardcover of. Mm-hmm. I offered for $75. You got, drawn- you got written into the book as a minor character. Mm-hmm. And I just went through, I had a list of like 20 names and I just was like, uh, that's a woman's name or presenting as a woman's name. Like that mm-hmm. is, this is person is going to be that now. And I just went through and like changed all of basically the names for this special edition and wow. then re-uploaded all of the stuff. But you know, a book is $25. Oh, wow. That means seven, it's at $75, that's $50 of profit. Or I think the book was 40. So that's $35 of profit margin. I always do a thing for $50, which is being uh, getting a special thanks in the book. That's usually, if, my, if a hardcover is 40, a special thanks is 50. About 20% of people want the special thanks in the book, so they pay additional $10. Like a, a, spe- a special thanks takes a couple, an, an, I don't know, 30 minutes to an hour to put together because you download all the names, you copy them, you paste them into a document, you have to do some formatting, but like, you know, that's basically all profit as well. You're already going to have to print that page. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't cost any more to put, to put, uh, to put ink on that page. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things like bookmarks and uh, 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 timelines. My, my series, The Gods vs. Chronicles, is a very devoted following, but the books are all, are all over the place. Like one, like book one will happen in the <laughs> 80s, then book like two will happen in like, 
the the 90s and then like book six will happen in like 10,000 years in the past and books seven will happen like 12,000 years in the future. Like it's a very confusing yeah. people. So people have asked me for a timeline for years. So for our next launch, I've, I've commissioned a timeline and a planet guide for all of the books in the Godsverse Chronicles, which is a thing that I would only do for Kickstarter because people will pay more just to get the map. Uh, you know, the, we're doing a trifold of the map and the planet guide basically for the next campaign. Um, there are prints. Um, I do audio commentary, which means I open the book and I say, okay, uh, I'm going to tell you a story about chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, whatever, you mm -hmm. know, I'll, and I go, you know, basically chapter by chapter. And if there's nothing, I'll just pass it by or I'll flip through another page. Mm -hmm. And like, again, that takes me about an hour and mm -hmm. I make, I don't know, $1,000 on that audio commentary for that hour of work. It's a very good ROI. And it's something that that for future, once the books are launched and available on my website, I can just include that audio commentary in, which is something you can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, and, you know, that's just one of hundreds of things. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 my friend, Krishan, who I think most mm -hmm. or all of you know, yeah. mm -hmm. does book boxes. Um, I saw someone do a romance box where they had like a candle made. Uh, one of the people in our group, Sarah, is uh, had a tea made for her for her campaign. Wow! Um, uh, I I got my my artist to use a, to to uh, to allow me to offer a virgin print of the virgin cover, which is the the cover with no words on it for one of for the first book in the series. It's like this big dragon who's like holding this girl in the air, and she's like defiantly looking back at this dragon. Mm -hmm. And like I got them to offer, uh, I got her to offer to allow me to do the print. And uh, so these are all things that people and people paid twenty four dollars for that print by the way, wow. that, the five by seven print. They got all three books in the trilogy as well, but they paid $24 just for that print. Wow. Um, so all of these things are pieces that you can add that really are for the super fan. Because mm -hmm. frankly, the super fan is the one who's going to go to Kickstarter anyway, probably go to a yeah. new platform, go put in their stuff. And, right. and, and so you want to make that, um, that, that very uh, attractive for them. And you want to say, oh, you guys have always wanted, I don't know, this brooch that, my, that, that one of the characters wears. Or like mm -hmm. one of my friends made a sword. His, his, mm -hmm. his, 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 um, it was like $500 for like this, to get this sword. Um, but like people bought it. Um, my, my friends also did like a, a character. You, you could be drawn on the cover of the book for like a special edition cover or something. There are all these, there are all these things that you can do mm -hmm. that you just can't do on Amazon. Mm -mm. I mean, not only could you not do it, but like, it wouldn't even, there's no way to even explain how to add an audio commentary to your book for five dollars on amazon the mechanics just don't exist but no. on kickstarter all of that stuff already exists and is built for those super fans or those add-ons um well i have a question go ahead sarah because i have a question for monica so oh i was gonna say i think this is it's just this is just opens up so many possibilities oh, yes and you know the thing with direct sales is like the market seems to be going towards subscription models i think we all know that eventually subscription models are going to be the thing. And so for direct sales, you're going to need something a little bit different, a little bit special to pull them to you, to give them a reason to come to you. And if you start doing this, then you will have the audio commentary that you can sell yourself, Absolutely. you know, and you'll have already done it, which I mean, this is awesome. And so one I'm thing just that you, oh, amazed. <laughs> I think it's I'm great. <laughs> like one thing you can do, and we were thinking about doing, we used to have an app was to say like, if you spent this much money, 
on Kickstarter or through our sales through this, you would get access to the app for a year. Now mm-hmm. we can't do that, but like you could do, uh, you know, a, a subscription to a series and similarly a Substack or something and say, you can't do it on Patreon because Patreon does not allow you to give free subscriptions to people, but oh. Substack does. And you could say, Hey, for $20, like the whole campaign could be about like opening your Substack. You'd have to kind of word it differently than that, obviously, but like mm-hmm. you could, you would say $20, you get a year subscription to my Substack. And like that could be just the whole thing. People do apps stuff all of the time on there. And that wow. could be a way to, to drive or, hey, we're doing a book launch. And also for $10 more, you can get a year to our Substack or like whatever our thing, our private membership community, which you can also build on your website or anywhere else, which has all the audio commentary or it has the free book serial that I'm releasing that, you know, uh, used to be that's on Radish also, but like you get it for free and like with audio commentary or like whatever other thing. And there's just all of these things you can do. Again, that just does not have the functionality. And the great thing is you don't have to build from scratch like you do on your website because Kickstarter has millions upon millions of people who are using their service already looking for creative projects. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So Monica, if I go, if I launch my book on Kickstarter, I'm in KU. So that's going to certainly affect my rank. Is it better (laughs) (laughs) on Amazon? So is it better if you're wide to do this or can you do it on KU, do you think, and make it work? Um, I do think you can do your book in KU. So, I mean, the first thing is that your book is going to be, even if it's available for pre-order, your KU um, term doesn't start until you actually release. Correct. So if you want to sell, you can have your book on pre-order. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to sell your book on Kickstarter during the pre-order, you can mm-hmm. still do that. Okay. Uh, does it, does it affect your rank? I mean, it could, but you know, if you're like, let's say you're, um, let's say it's a very successful Kickstarter and you mm-hmm. have about 500 people mm-hmm. backing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that, you know, how, how many, so, so for some people that would affect their rank significantly, cause mm-hmm. that's a lot of pre-orders, but, you know, I think for some, especially like very popular authors, they can probably go, um, go without that, yeah. uh, in their, in their algorithms, or they can make it up with ads or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you can do like bundles. So it could be like ebook, audiobook, print book, or it could mm-hmm. be just the print book. So, you know, um, I think the, I think print print is probably the most popular format on Kickstarter mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, just because it has its roots in comics in picture books in like art type of books, artistic books that would not do well in print on demand, basically. Right. So, yeah, I do. And with romance authors in particular, we are seeing a lot of book boxes and we actually just saw one that it is a popular author. I can't remember her name right now, um, but she did, uh, I think it was $175,000 in book boxes. And she, you know, she sold her book box for it was either a hundred or 200. Maybe there was like a deluxe version or something, but it, you know, that that's, that's a big chunk of change. Yeah, <laughs> and then she probably went on. Who to cares watch. about rank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you need this rank anyway? Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, that's a lot of money to make for 
a month or two of work Mm -hmm. to put together the campaign. Um, And I don't think she, you know, she maybe had, you know, a thousand or maybe a couple thousand backers, but I mean, that's a lot of money to make off of that small of a group. And then you can probably take that money and go on to make your, you know, retailer launch significantly bigger too. Yes. I had a friend, uh, my friend, RJ, our friend, RJ just did a campaign uh, that was $30,000 from a hundred backers, a hundred people buying 30, they bought like she, she did, she did put, she allowed, she got all of her books from both from all of her series that like redone in a different mass market format or some other format. And like people mm-hmm. bought like 50 books, but also if you're going to do uh, a, a, a launch in your current series, mm-hmm. like you, most authors are not running a lot of ads to that. So mm-hmm. like probably you're not going to like, you're just going to be capturing those 500 people who would have already bought anyway yeah, and making a lot more money on them. And more importantly, you're going to be able to, you get their email. Mm-hmm. So you can, uh, you can make lookalike audiences is much more like targeted audiences for mm-hmm. on Facebook and other advertising. So you may lose a little bit of rank now, but you mm-hmm. may gain like just a massively better uh, uh, advertising platform. Uh, okay. and, and secondarily, you know, we all know, uh, standalone books don't do near. So you were talking about a standalone yeah. book, Jamie, yeah. like standalone books don't do well on Amazon, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the rule. So I ran a book for, I ran a campaign <laughs> two years ago for four standalone books. This is actually what I think what Monica, what Monica told me, uh, was the thing that made her be like, this is not supposed to work. It raised, 95, <laughs> it raised $9,500. Oh, wow. Four standalone books that were not the same genre. One was a sci-fi. One was like a, 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 like a dystopian fantasy. Mm-hmm. One was like a satire narrated by God. And one mm-hmm. was uh, like a dark fantasy book. So like literally nothing to do with each other. I could never have run ads to this series. I raised $9,500. Broke me even and more on that series. So Kickstarter is good for standalones. Mostly because you can, you probably have, I don't know, a hundred people who are going to buy every book, 500 people are going to buy every book. So like you make five, you make, instead of making, you know, X, uh, $6 a book or uh, paperback or $2 a book paperback, you're making 12, $15 from each person. And then you're able to upsell them. So you're just make, you might be making 40, $50. You heard Monica, we made an average of $40 from 500 people roughly. So like that's, Instead of instead of getting their one dollar or two dollar, you're going to get forty dollars from them. Theoretically, I mean, yeah. this is not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that I'm I'm just blown away. Okay, <laughs> so shifting gears just a little bit. So, what do you wish you'd known about Kickstarter before you started, Monica? Do you want to go first on this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I um yeah, I was a baby going into our twenty thousand plus campaign, which was. <laughs> terrifying. Um, yeah, I would, I would just say there was, you know, um, Russell's making it. So Russell's very, very good at Kickstarter mm-hmm. and he's making it sound very easy and it is, you know, it's very doable. We actually have a group from that Kickstarter of, there were 70 people who signed up for it and we've been guiding them through, um, since December and we've had, um, at least 10 Kickstarters from the group launch 
and so far 100% success rate oh, on wow, those people, on those authors and they're mm-hmm. all raising you know four figures for them um I, I don't think anybody raised less than four figures and some of them have done really well um and so we do think it's super doable but i also think that direct sales in general um on on kickstarter and everywhere else uh it's definitely a big mindset change from doing it with the retailers because mm-hmm. you know like you you know like Russell was saying you can sell other things that are not books you mm-hmm. can start to bundle a lot more and i think that's where authors authors are so used to selling you know kind of this one off thing or like trying to get people to you know read through the series but on Kickstarter, your best bet is to really try to sell a trilogy. Um, <laughs> that's like one of the most popular, like simplest book campaigns that we talk about in our book. Um, and Russell just did one. It was one of his best, you know, he had a trilogy. It was his um, best funded. Never uh, before, never did anything with this series. I only started talking about it like two weeks ago, except I think I announced that I had finished this series and maybe I, I showed the covers like in July. It raised mm-hmm. $12,000. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he, like Russell, Russell, you've been successful by selling, you know, like trilogies or like four books in a series and then also selling backlists and also selling upgrades. And I think that authors, they really have to kind of wrap their minds around, um, you know, the type of stuff that they see in like the nonfiction space or in the art space mm-hmm. um, where you're going to be, you're going to have to think a little bit more um, about how you can increase your revenue per reader, um, how you can deliver um There's a lot more fulfillment stuff um, because you're delivering physical goods and it's not Mm -hmm. all print on demand. And so I think that's where authors do want to make a mindset shift um, when they're going to direct sales like Kickstarter or like their website or anywhere else. It's just you've got to kind of expand your mind to the possibilities and be willing to build those um, the support in your business to do things like hold some inventory and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, take, take payments from your website and, you know, that type of stuff that authors have been, you know, historically intimidated by from when I've spoken to them. Yeah. Well, and there's also, you know, we talked about just launching a book, but I think for a successful author, the biggest, the biggest, uh, area that they can that, that they can exploit on Kickstarter is either doing like a hardcover edition of a book that has been very popular or an omnibus that's like really this big beautiful thing mm-hmm. but even more so games CDs like uh, a merchandise like things that are not necessarily the book but like fans have been wanting to to get from them you know I have a lot of friends especially in the fantasy space that are doing RPGs of their games that mm. they do on Kickstarter like that's even a bigger space than novels uh, right. as far as like Kickstarter platform goes I have a friend that just did uh, his Ascend online he's turning into a comic book he did the, the first issue of the comic book on Kickstarter um, you know we have all of these things that like you don't have to think just of books and I've never met an author no matter how successful who didn't want to expand their brand into doing something whether it yeah. was plushies or 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 jewelry or swords or whatever the thing is like there's mm-hmm. always some way to like take that brand and like make it a little bit bigger and none of us have unlimited money so like that's a way that you can say um uh okay you want this thing here's 
what it will take. Mm. So for instance, I did uh, this campaign for Ichabod Jones, Monster Hunter, my dark fantasy horror series. And people have been asking me since it came out in 2015 for more. Mm-hmm. And like, I'd always been resisting it. I'd just been like, I don't really want to do more. Like, I think it's a standalone story. Finally, like 2019 broke me and I was like, okay, like I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, and, but if you want more than one issue, you have to like, we have to raise $16,000, which is mm-hmm. the, there's like 15,666 or something dollars for mm-hmm. one issue of comic. That is very hard. But mm-hmm. if you do that, because I had to reprint, I had to get all the art done for the issue. I had to reprint the first volume. I had to ship it, print. Like it took like, like I said, like $16,000 to do all of this stuff, but they raised it. They raised, I think it was like $16,180 or something around there. And so like, I have now completed three volumes of Ichabod that have each been funded through Kickstarter because I made this thing where it's like, if you want more of this book, you must tell me. And then if you want me to continue it, you have to keep telling me, Otherwise, I'm not going to do that. So there are all these other ways that aren't just like I have a book, like I have very popular books that like just I don't have never done anything with that. Like I might be like, hey, okay, like I here's a standalone I did. Like if you want me to write like Jules, like Julie's side story, like parallel thing, like it's going to cost this much money and then I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple of practical questions. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you estimate the cost? Like, you know, I mean, I'm like, if you've done a hardcover book, you can kind of figure that out. How do you, how detailed do you get in your cost estimation for what you set your goals for? Uh, In the book, we definitely have all seven, I think, parts of the, of the, of the, uh, of the piece, which is um, uh, production uh uh printing so production would be like getting all of the art and editing and all of that stuff um uh uh, printing which Mm -hmm. is printing the book um shipping which is getting the book out so that would include shipping materials and stuff Mm -hmm. uh kickstarter fees and backer kit fees if you're going to use that um my your time and then there are two others that I don't remember because uh, I don't have it open in front of me. <laughs> we'll just go get the book. Uh, I'm definitely just get the book. I'm definitely getting the book okay, anyway, okay. so that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you uh, like I don't know. I, I usually plan for and a 200 person campaign, 250 person campaign. I usually have about 50 books that I have to buy of each book that I'm going to have in the campaign. Um, so I usually set my goal at whatever that is. Like, I'm going to have to print 50 or a hundred. If you want to be like really generous about it, it's usually somewhere between 25 and 50% physical backers. So if you think your campaign is going to have a hundred backers, then probably somewhere between 25 and 50 are going to want physical, like the physical, uh, books, mm-hmm. um, or all of the books. So I usually would say either I either plan on printing 50 or planting planning 100 and then going over on there. I always want to say if this campaign really does terribly, like I'm going to only have to print 50. And then over that is going to be great. I'm going to have to print all of that stuff. Uh, you know, you may have to print pins or all of that stuff. So all of that, all of those things are like a hard cost, right? Like mm-hmm. I know how much it will cost to print 100 pins and I'm not going to order more than 100 pins because you almost never need more than 100 pins unless like, a campaign is super successful. Same Thing with prints you can you can limit a print so for our current or my last campaign we were talking about the dragon one i limited a hundred a hundred 
of them. So like I only am printing a hundred. So if we go over only the first hundred get them. So mm-hmm. you can also make those sort of delineate, delineated limits. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I don't, if, if a, if a book's going to cost you $10,000, the great thing about Kickstarter is your book's going to come out anyway. So <laughs> maybe you set the book at the, the first campaign at 500 or a thousand dollars. Uh, I usually say somewhere between 250 and 500 because you, if you're doing a book, now if you're doing like a, a plushie or some other kind of rum, but if you just want to test the waters, set it at 250, 500 and be like, you know what, if this book only makes $500, it's coming out in two months anyway. This is just all bonus money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think this is just fascinating. And it's, I think like going from traditional publishing to indie is like, one step and it's like opens up all these new vistas for you. And I think this is like the next step beyond that because mm-hmm. it really is, you ch- totally change the way you think about your books and you think about launching and I'm fascinated by it. I think yeah. it's awesome. I, it's I've, so talked to Monica. I've talked to Monica. I talked to Monica some months ago, maybe like last year, summer. And I was like, I can't believe how little control authors have of their own destiny on Amazon. Like, I can't believe Jamie that you're in KU, frankly, like I can't believe that anyone, <laughs> I can't believe anyone will give that much control over their career to anyone. I have done the launch on Amazon and like, it is so, it is so like impersonal. It's just yeah. little bar graphs going up and stuff. Like right. it's, right. it's it, it, and, and you're just like, well, I hope that bar graph goes up again tomorrow because I don't know, like, I don't know if that person, who that person is, I'm probably never going to see them even if they get on my mailing list. Like, I don't know if they're a buyer or just some lurker or like what they are. So like, it is so fascinating to me that yeah. like authors author, authors cede so much control of their career to a place like Amazon. Yeah. I, all I, my only defense is I've drank the Kool-Aid. So, you know, I understand it in a like money sense, but like, yeah, yeah. as for me, when I, I, I did those, the, the, those books, I, I suddenly understood authors that complain about like, a lot of stuff because it was mm-hmm. impersonal. It mm-hmm. felt like I, I made no connection with anyone. I had no idea who was reading it or enjoying it or coming back for the next book. And like, right. I, not, you know, I have lots of friends who like often went on about that. And I kind of was like, I don't understand. I like, no, you don't know all of your fans. Like mm-hmm. you don't talk to them <laughs> and like have emails and like, you don't see their name as you're shipping them books. Like I don't understand any of that stuff. And uh, and over the last couple of years, what I've really grown to appreciate is uh, taking a day and putting out all of the labels and everything, and then sticking all of the books and like printing it because not only is it like a sense of accomplishment that never feels like I never feel like typing on ones and zeros never like feels accomplishment, but like mm-hmm. putting one having one book to go in the done pile and then 50 and then being able to see the people and recognize the names is like both meditative and restorative to me in that way. And it, awesome. I only really got that from like having a launch on Amazon and other places. Now that I don't like, I'm sure they're great, but like, I, I do want that control. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can 100% see that. This has just been fabulous. So good. (laughs) Like my brain is about to explode because I've, you know, I've got illustrated covers that I think I'm going to do and all of this stuff, you know, for existing books. And I've, the possibilities are just running around in my head and I just appreciate it so much. So yes, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Tell people where they can find out more about you guys individually about the series, the book, uh, book sales supercharger 
and all of that. Well, I am at theworldneedsyourpassion.com and then the Book Sales Supercharged series, it's on, um, it's, well, it's definitely on Amazon. It will be on all retailers soon. And obviously it's, you know, it's on Kickstarter as well. And you can actually, if you wanted to go to our Kickstarter store, you could buy it um, direct. And it's also on uh, my website at theworldneaturebook.com, my other website. (laughs) So you could buy it. You could buy it as a bundle there too. That's great. And you, Russell? Uh, go to, you can go to my website, russellnolte.com, where I just realized I don't have links to go and buy that, those books. So that's going to change um, real soon. Um, uh, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Please don't find me on Instagram. That is only to talk to my tattoo artist who refuses to communicate any other way. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and, uh, and my website where you can find all of our books and check out my fiction work. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys both for being here. This has been so good. And I have so many ideas now. And I just thought, I thought that Kickstarter was something that I couldn't do, but this has opened my eyes. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Well, and we'll have all the links in the show notes and those will be at wishidknownthempodcast.com. Thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast and Adriel Wiggins for doing the admin. And we will see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.